This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. Well, hello and welcome to the program. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, we'll open up our phone lines to Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group, back with us today to talk about all sorts of family law issues. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And our first story is local, and it has more competitors than the Winter Olympics. Global News reporting today 3,600 athletes from 40 countries are descending on Penticton for the first multi-sport world championships. Six triathlon-style world racing titles are up for grabs over the next 10 days. Typically, they're held all over the world in different locations. This is the first time they put them all in one location, hoping athletes would have the opportunity to only spend money on travel once, but be able to do multiple world championships in one venue, say the organizers. The influx of up to 10,000 visitors is a huge boost for local tourism, which has had a tough year, and we all know why. Our season started with the high water levels in the lake, and then, of course, fires in the province causing some angst for folks wanting to commit to coming here, says uh, Travel Penticton co-chair Barb Haynes. Certainly, we have had smoke in the valleys, but now it's clear and beautiful, so to have this great longer-term 10-day event is just a great opportunity. Some local Penticton folks are taking to social media to express frustration about close run-ins with cyclists and other other inconveniences. On Thursday, a cyclist was struck by a vehicle, the victim suffering minor injuries. Event organizers are asking Penticktonites to pack their patients and brace for some minor issues, including temporary inconveniences and being asked to understand the road's going to be a little busy for the next few days, but instead of feeling frustrated, let's make these people feel welcome and help create a little magic. Hopefully you have accommodations arranged if you're heading that way. It's pretty booked up. Canadian grocery giant Loblaws, along with their real Canadian superstores and other brands, and CIBC have terminated their almost 20-year President's Choice Financial Partnership as the bank unveiled its own digital brand this past week on Wednesday. PC Financial users will transition to CIBC's new Simply Financial Mobile and Online brand with their deposits, mortgages, and loans, which have been backed by CIBC since 98. Simply customers will be able to use CIBC's automated teller machines for free, as they did under PC Financial, as well as conduct their banking online via telephone and mobile, but simply will not have any physical branches. Customers of the new online banking unit will have the same no-fee daily banking and interest rates as under PC Financial, and terms and conditions of mortgages will remain unchanged, said CIBC, and added the offer is very similar out of the gate to what they already have. That's by design. We want to minimize any impact of change on the clients. Now, while customers will be able to retain and use the points they have acquired through Loblaw's PC Plus loyalty program, which are redeemable for free groceries at its vast network of retail stores, they will not be able to accrue any more 
of those points under the Simply offering after October 31st. News from England. The Economist has ranked Vancouver as the third most livable city in the world for the seventh year in a row. Toronto came fourth. Calgary tied with Adelaide, Australia for fifth. Melbourne and Vienna continue to hold first and second place. The report authored by the Economist Intelligence Unit notes that mid-sized cities in wealthy countries with low population density consistently perform well in the rankings. In fact, ta- six rather of the top ten cities are located in either Australia or Canada. Analysts rank cities according to five broad categories, stability, health care, culture, environment, education, and infrastructure. Housing is one of seven factors that fall under the infrastructure category. But while advocates have critiqued local and provincial governments for years around here for not providing enough affordable housing for residents, it has not shifted Vancouver's third-place ranking for seven years. We used to, at one point, be ranked as the most livable city in the world until we fell to number three, Uh, back in 2011. For flower lovers, today is a biggie. The Vancouver Orchid Society's annual Summer Sale of Orchids is happening right now until 4 o'clock. This free event will feature local or hobby vendors in the Floral Hall selling a large variety of orchids from commercial and private collections with potting demonstrations every hour. There's a show table display of flowering orchids that has photo seekers reeling off tons of snaps. It's on until 4 this afternoon at Van Dusen Gardens on Oak Street street in their floral hall. Powerball players will be holding their breath tonight as numbers are drawn for one of the nations, that is the United States, biggest lottery jackpots. Not to say that a lot of Powerball tickets aren't held here in B.C. have been known to pop across the line to Washington State to buy a couple myself over the years. The numbers for an estimated $535 million jackpot will be drawn tonight at 7.59 Pacific. The prize has grown so large because no one has matched all six balls in more than two months. So the jackpot grows after every drawing. The prize is now the eighth largest in U.S. lotto history. The odds of winning? Oh, uh, a cozy 292.2 million to one. Powerball is played in 44 states as well as D.C., Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. Uh, The 535 million, by the way, It's an annuity option paid over 29 years. A winner who opts for a single cash payout will have to settle for $340 million minus taxes. If you're a Canadian who's gone over the line, and more than a few of us have, and you bought a ticket and you win, you can also petition to get most of the one-third in taxes returned to you. Lottery winnings in Canada are always tax-free. And if you do have a ticket, good luck. Those are some of the stories we're following this week in just a very few moments. We're going to introduce you to our guests or reintroduce you to our guests. They've both been with us before. We have Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group back with us to take your calls and talk family law matters right here on Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. With the change. Welcome back. It's Sterling Fox and guests at 2.15 in the sunshine on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. And the guests are Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group in Surrey and in Yaletown. Stuart Zuckerman, Ron Hunink, welcome back, guys. Great to see you. Pleasure to be here. 
It's good, good to be here. And it's good to see you both as well. Uh, lots to talk about, including a brand new website. This is at literally days old, That's Stuart. Correct, so yep. this is this is something you've been working on for a while. Tell us uh, why the changes. My baby. Just uh, wanted to update and have renew and refresh our website and bring it into uh, modern times. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, a very functional website now that has uh, photographs of all of our staff and our lawyers, biographies of all of our staff and our lawyers. It's got all of our client reviews that have been posted on Google, on Yelp, on LawyerReviews.com. Okay. And we put the good ones and the bad ones, all the reviews that have, mind you, we don't have any bad ones, but we put all the reviews that we've gotten on those websites uh, up on uh, on our website so you can see what other clients have said. And there's lots of information, uh, over 100 articles that we've posted uh, on our blog, uh, and uh, we post monthly on blogs, articles on family law topics. You can read those articles. You can go on there and you can listen to, um, in the media section, you can watch two of our videos. Uh, you can listen to... Uh, some of our radio ads. You can listen to a previous radio interview that I've been on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's links to all of the uh, information uh, that that's relevant to, to our practice. Well, it's such an educational website. It's very entertaining. <clears throat> it's very nicely done. It's very uptown, if you don't mind my saying so. Yes. But it's also really educational. It offers a lot of resource click options yes. right there for someone looking. And in a lot of cases, I imagine people visit the website in pretty uh, serious emotional uh, distress. And so it's very helpful even in that way. Now, Ron, I know I see your picture hasn't been put up on the on the website yet. I assume you're waiting for that perfect one to come, come along that it hasn't quite been found yet. You've got it. Uh, 25 years of experience make me uh, have to watch how I look in my pictures. Well, there you go. Okay, with 25 years under your belt, you're allowed to take a few days to get the right picture coming along. Ron should be up there by the end of the month. He's getting his photos taken on the 23rd. I'm sure it is. But, you know, Ron, you've opened a bit of a door for us here, and this is important stuff. Experience. Uh, The firm, and it says again right on the website there, that the combined experience of all the legal talent under one roof, Stuart, is over 70 years. You've amassed quite a team. Yes, I'm a Myself have been practicing family law for over 28 years. Ron has been practicing family law for over 25 years. Uh, we are the two senior counsel mm-hmm. at the firm. Uh, the junior and intermediate lawyers at our firm do consult with us. So you're getting when even when you're hiring a less expensive junior or even a first year lawyer or articling student, you're getting the advice and input of senior lawyers. Um, and we have lawyers that are intermediate with five years of experience and lawyers in their first year and article students, uh, all uh, at different cost rates, hourly cost rates suited to the needs of the client. Uh, and and we can do combination of hybrids where you have an article student or a junior lawyer doing the drafting of the work, and then the senior lawyer is the one who takes the work and goes in before the judge to argue. So uh, we can we can meet the needs of our client in terms of the finances that way by adjusting. Exactly. And Ron, it, it, it isn't always as complicated as it sometimes can get. So the process of unraveling a relationship or whatever, uh, it, some of it may be uh, for, formulaic in terms of the proper processes for filing on time and doing that a, a, a junior less experienced individual can guide anyone through and the the tough fights in court and i know you've been in court all week uh, come up for air and, and a radio show on a saturday but the, that the tough sledding is left to the senior uh team correct that's right, and uh, we consider it, Stuart and I, uh, a service to uh, to the bar and to the juniors who are always coming through. Remember, lawyers are retiring and new ones are coming on stream, and it's part of our duty, part of our obligation to make sure that those junior lawyers who come through our firm and move their way up, they don't all stay with us, but to make sure that they get a good grounding in how lawyers should work. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, by the way, Matt, let's uh, let's open up the phone lines. We have two lawyers and essentially free legal advice on a Saturday afternoon on the radio. How sweet is that? Six six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight. We're talking family law this afternoon, friends. Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight. Just You're- before you uh, go to the lines, there. Oh, sure. Um, well, it'll I, take a few minutes to get calls processed. Anyway. Sure. I did want to say about with respect to experience uh, and and how important it is. It's particularly important in terms of when if you have to go to court. You know and Family law, we try to settle cases out of court and not have a trial. But if you have to go to trial, uh, you're typically investing with a senior lawyer anywhere from 50000 to 150000 or more for a week or two or three uh, in front of a judge. And, of course, you're going into a courtroom. The judge doesn't know anybody. Um, it doesn't know either you or your wife. doesn't know your family situation. It's up to the lawyers to inform the judge about the circumstances right. and to make various arguments. But where experience comes in is particularly in cross-examination. If, if somebody is misleading the court or is exaggerating, it, it takes a certain skill set, and it takes a lot of years to develop that skill set to be able to show to a judge when you're questioning a client that that client is not being honest or the client is being outright misleading. Ron, just as an example, this week is in a, a trial that was supposed to continue into next week. It would have been a seven-day trial. His client would have been paying him for today, tomorrow, for Monday and Tuesday to prepare. But by reason of his excellent cross-examination of the wife on Wednesday and Thursday, the cross-examination was so successful in showing the wife to be less than honest and 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 in, incorrect in her assertions about the finances that by Friday, her lawyer, the wife's lawyer, we act for the husband, mm-hmm. the wife's lawyer was coming to Ron begging for a settlement. And in fact, by Friday afternoon, they settled the case instead of continuing the trial on Friday and Monday and Tuesday. So our client saved probably what would have been another thirty to $40,000 if Ron had to put in another four days of preparation and conduct of a trial, not to mention the time spent waiting for the reasons for judgment after the decision, after the trial is over. And uh, we managed to make a very good deal for our client because we were in a position to uh, negotiate from strength because we had done, Ron had done so much damage to the wife's credibility on cross-examination. Well, good work on the cross there, Ron, but I suppose that's <clears throat> ideally, that's the preferred resolution in most cases. If you settle, you're still in some degree able to control control the outcome of the settlement. However, if it goes to the judge making a decision, this is as Stuart just said, the judge doesn't know anybody involved. The lawyers present the evidence. The judge makes a call. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. That's the way it works, isn't it? Well, that's absolutely right, Stuart. One uh, one of the things that that a lot of people forget, even the winners, uh, and, and it feels good to run your trial and some months later get your judgment and find out that you won. But it's sometimes Pyrrhic because uh, <clears throat> sometimes you find out that, uh, well, you've pushed it a little, a little bit too far. Right. You might have been able to settle for, uh, uh, for something without all the expense of trial. Mm-hmm. But what happened in the case that Stuart uh, was just speaking about is, thankfully for everybody, uh, the wife was represented by uh, a lawyer with great experience as well, and he saw the good sense in coming to the table and trying to settle when his case case fell apart because right. his client, well, was not a good witness. Mm, interesting stuff. Just that simple sometimes, too. Just that simple. Right. And, and Stuart, ideally, a settlement is always preferred to a, a judge's ruling, correct? That, that's always what we work towards. It's always less expensive to settle out of court than it is to go to court. Typically, we tell clients a day in court in Supreme Court to prepare for that day and then conduct that day. You could easily spend in the five to 
$10,000 range or more yep. for each day of court. Um, so we always, with all of our clients, we make effort, reasonable efforts to put forward reasonable settlement proposals and to, to convince the other side that they're going to do worse. It's going to cost them more um, if they go to court because they're not going to get an outcome as favorable as the outcome that we're proposing in our settlement proposals. All right. But to the both of you now, because both of you are talking, we're talking now about court scenarios and presentations and cross-examinations and all of that kind of thing. How critical is it when uh, seeking out family law advice from a family lawyer to know how important is it for the, the customer, the, the consumer, to know that if push comes to shove, that person will willingly go to court and fight the good fight on your behalf. Uh, well, it's, it's a vital part of your uh, hiring a lawyer. Uh, it should be in that first interview asking the lawyer how often do they go to court, what uh, what is their experience in court been, do they go to trial. I, I've Over the 28 years that I've practiced, I've had lots of clients who've come from other firms or other lawyers where they spent thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on the the process, but then the lawyer didn't want to take the matter to trial, right? Um, uh, or they didn't have confidence in the lawyer to take the matter to trial. Now they have to find a brand new lawyer who, with trial experience, and and pay to refresh that lawyer about all the history and everything that's gone on. So it's important from the outset, even though the the, the desire is not to go to trial at the end, and the and the lawyer's goal is to avoid trial by by effective negotiation and settlement. In your first meeting with the lawyer, you, you do want to have a law firm that you know that if you have to go to trial, you have somebody who understands your case and who is prepared and willing to go to trial if the other side won't compromise or be reasonable. Right. And Ron, that's not, a, a, that's not an impolite question to ask. I know that when uh, at Zuckerman Law, if you want to sit down and have a, a chat with a lawyer, it, it's a free consultation process to explain your circumstances and get a, at least a sense of what legal legs you have to stand on. But to ask a lawyer, because it's a two-way conversation. You're interviewing them, uh, 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 the client, prospective client, as much as the client is interviewing you to represent him or her. So it's not an impolite question to ask point blank, do you go to court and have you been there before? It's not impolite at all. You should be asking your lawyer that. I, I for one, I enjoy my time in court because essentially I winnow out the losers from the, uh, from the winners, and I only take cases to court that I, that I think have a good chance of winning. And in many cases, those cases that I take to court with I, what I deem to be a good chance of winning are cases where the person really needs a result, really needs to set the record straight. Right. Okay. And how much of a factor, to both of you, how much of a factor should revenge be <laughs> in, in, in seeking out uh, competent legal advice yeah. and having that as your prime motivator. I'm going to get that so-and-so well, well, because of what he or she did to my life. Uh, unfortunately, I can tell you that 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 topic, that theme does arise very, bet it does. very often in the first uh, meetings. And what you have to be very cautious about, and I talk about it on my website as well, um, is you don't want a yes man. You don't want to hire a lawyer who's going to say, yes, you're right. Let's get him. Let's pin him to the wall. I can't guarantee the outcome, but I'll do my best. Let's go. Right. And, and there are lots of lawyers, uh, unfortunately, that, uh, that do take that approach that, um, it's a win or, win or, or, or nothing, win at all costs. Sure. Um, and, uh, push everything into trial. Uh, you're much more 
uh, you're much better off with a lawyer who in the initial consultation will hear your anger and hear what your concerns are. And you have, let's say you have somebody who's angry who says, I want 90% or I want 100% of the assets because he did this, this, and this sure, to me. Sure. It's better to have a lawyer who says, look, I understand where you're coming from and why you would want that. However, I can tell you based on the case law and based on the legislation, it's very unlikely that you'll get that outcome no matter how, no matter how bad you prove your spouse to be. In fact, both the Divorce Act and the Family Law Act have sections that say that a judge is not permitted to consider conduct, i.e. moral conduct, okay. of a person when awarding property or spousal support. So if somebody comes in and says, I have proof that my wife cheated on me, I got a, a private eye that followed her right, to a I, hotel, sure. I say, well, you can have proof of your wife being with 10 different men and it's not going to make a difference to the judge because she's still entitled to the same level of spousal support and property division. And what I say to those people who have those anger and revenge issues is you're better off to talk to your family doctor to get a referral to a counselor or a psychologist uh, or a psychiatrist and speak that stuff out with with those people who are trained to help you overcome those issues rather than spending your money with a lawyer uh, fighting those issues. Yeah, right. And Ron, ruining someone is not a permissible resolution under the Family Law Act of British Columbia for any judge, is it? It absolutely isn't. And, and so many of my cases over the years that have gone on far longer and been far more expensive for my clients than they should have been have been cases where you've got the revenge person on yeah. the other side. Yeah. And you've just got to control that. But the, the, the thing that a lot of people miss is even after they run their revenge trial and lose, or the clients I have been representing who are, well, the victims on a revenge trial, <clears throat> when it's all over, you still have the rest of your life to live. And a lot of people forget to get on the horse and live that life. Very important. When we, well, we try to help people who, uh, who they now have their new life. They have their share of the assets. They have their freedom. And we try to point them in the direction that will, well, help them be happy. All right. You can be bitter for decades. Don't do it. Good advice. And lots more to come. Our guests, Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick from the Zuckerman Law Group. And we'll tell you about the addresses and the web address and all the rest of it. We'll take a quick break for the news at the bottom of the hour and include your phone calls when we return here on Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the program. Sterling Fox joined in studio by Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunink from the Zuckerman Law Group in both Surrey and Yaletown. Stuart, head office is in Surrey. The satellite office is in Yaletown. That's right. We have a total of eight lawyers plus six staff at our uh, our Surrey office. And anybody who wants to book an appointment into our Yaletown office, uh, we can arrange it. We have two lawyers uh, that typically frequent the, uh, the Yaletown office in order to meet clients who want to meet downtown. Okay, good stuff. Now, we've uh, given out the phone number. We'll do that again at 6 4-280-9898. John has been ever so patiently waiting. We thank you for that. John, good afternoon. Hi. Uh, hi, Mr. Zuckerman and Mr. Hunick. I have a question about child support. Go ahead, please. Um, I'm wondering, I'm, I was paying uh, my child support based on an income of $120,000 last year, and this year my income has dropped to seventy about $70,000 a year. And my wife is telling me, or my ex, sorry, my ex is telling me that I need to continue to pay child support based on my uh, 2016 income of um, 120, about $120,000. So I want to know whether I should be paying child support based on uh, what my current income is right now or based on my uh, 2016 tax return. Fair question. Ron, you want to take this one? Well, the answer to that is going to depend on whether this change to 70000 is likely to be uh, uh, continuing. Are, are you in sales? How, how, how did that income end up going down? 
Um, it's just I changed positions in the, actually the same company. I'm still working in the same company, but my position was changed. I was um, I'm working in uh, sales now, so I was doing an admin position before, so I'm in a sales position now. So my income has just de- decreased. Got it, got it. So, John, going forward, is it likely that the income is going to remain closer to the current number of 70000 than to the previous number of one twenty? Um, at this point, I don't know. It might, my income might actually increase, but uh, I'm not really sure. At this point, I, like my, I believe my income for 2017 will be around seventy dollars to $80,000. Okay, Ron? All right, well... I think the answer in your situation is to simply speak to your wife and tell her uh, that you've done the best you can. You uh, you weren't in any position to resist the company's uh, change uh, that they imposed on you. You're now $70,000 a year, and you should be paying child support based on that. Uh, what might happen is if you end up next year at uh, 120000 uh, or something like that, there is – a three-year averaging rule that that can apply when your income goes up, down, and up, or down, up, and down over the uh, previous three years. And in that case, uh, it can be reasonable to average over the three years. But basically, where you stand right now, you should be looking at 70000 Look at the child support guidelines number that goes with that uh, and and suggest that to your wife. If uh, she's resistant, then you go to court to get a change. And if I just may add, um, if you uh, if you look up on the at the BC Supreme Court website and you search judgments, there's a case called Jilly versus Jilly J Y L L I versus J Y L L I. I acted for Mr. Jilly in that case. He worked on the uh, Canby Skytrain for three or four years, earning well over a hundred thousand um, uh, dollars. And then he, he when that when he got let go from the Skytrain, when the Skytrain was completed, he was in a job making uh, under fifty thousand dollars. And we had this exact same argument before the court. Okay. Um, and the, the decision in that case, the court, I referred the court to some court of appeal decisions uh, from Alberta as well, and the court agreed with me that it's the current income. Unless you prove that the person is intentionally underemployed, the, unless the payor has intentionally reduced his income, if right. he didn't have control over it, then it's his current income that should be used, not his, not an average of his previous three years and not his previous year, but his current income that should be used to uh, determine his child support obligation. So, John, the advice to you, sir, is uh, to first have a conversation with your ex just one-to-one to see whether between the two of you, you can work this out and failing a resolution, you're going to have to apply to the courts for some kind of adjustment, and that will require the services of a lawyer. How are we doing? Okay. Does that okay, help? Thank you, for your, thank you for your help. Yes, that's very helpful. Okay, thanks, guys. Much appreciated. Ken, over to you. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, hi, Stuart and Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Go ahead, Ken, please. Hi there. Yeah, um... Last year, my wife and I drafted a separation agreement, uh, and we didn't use lawyers, and we didn't make financial disclosure to each other. Um, The most important part of the separation agreement was that we would get an appraisal for the house, and, and in return for my paying her half of the appraised value of the house, she would sign title over to me in the house. We owned the house's as joint tenants. Okay. Uh, so we did that, and I, I paid her, and now I own the house in, in clear title. But And we got divorced uh, in the winter after the agreement was signed. But now she's got a lawyer, and she wants more money because the 2017 assessment came out, 
and it's a lot higher than what the appraised value was back in September of last year when we made the agreement. Um, so I think that's unfair um, because I'm I'm close to retirement, and uh, uh, she wants something like a hundred thousand dollars more. Um, what what should I do? Uh, well, you should get some legal advice and have somebody uh, represent and defend your side of the of the story. Uh, you are at risk because anytime you enter into a separation agreement without full and frank financial disclosure by both sides, that gives an opportunity for uh, the agreement to be challenged if something is discovered after the fact. That would be if if some financial uh, significant financial holdings of either of you was just not disclosed and is now discovered. That's a basis to challenge the agreement. The other issue is when an agreement is signed without independent legal advice on both sides, it's also uh, much easier to argue uh, about the agreement because each party may have their own interpretation of what various words and terms and phrases in the agreement means. The whole idea of having in, uh, a certificate of independent legal advice attached to the end of a, a separation agreement is that the, that the judge in the future, if there's a dispute, knows that the lawyer who signed the certificate reviewed the entire agreement mm-hmm. with the other party and explained each and every phrase and term so there's no room for people to have misunderstood what they were signing. Whereas, when people do their own agreements, it's very easy for a person to say, I thought this clause meant this and it was to protect me and the other person is saying no this clause means this and it's to protect me right so it leads it leads for room for something um uh where where there's uh, one a term in latin a basic term in contract law is uh, no consensus ad idem that means that there was no meeting of the minds on some particular point and that's an essential element to an agreement so it's it is much easier for an agreement to be challenged without legal advice i i myself have gone to court and turned over uh, separation agreements. Um, I had one where the where the the wife had legal advice, um, and the husband refused to get legal advice. Um, and even though the wife's lawyer prepared a, a, a statement for the husband to sign, describing that he was refusing to get independent legal advice despite her advice to do so, and that he wouldn't use his lack of legal advice to challenge the agreement, we ended up successfully challenging and setting aside that agreement. So. Um, you know, you 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 may need to renegotiate um, if there was some 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 significant non financial disclosure uh, or uh, problems with the wording of the agreement. Or you need to sit down with the pros at Zuckerman Law Group and again get a real strong sense of what what the uh, what the circumstances are and you know how a, a non legally binding document, mm-hmm. as it sounds like it is yeah. to a to a civilian ears, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, you know that it's a little a little shakier ground yes. that the whole thing has been built on. Uh, back to the phones, and Barry, you're up next. Good afternoon to you. Hi there. I've got a little bit of a different situation. My ex owes me money from our separation agreement, and now she's got herself into an uh, unrelated legal matter, and they have frozen all her accounts, and I'm not getting my spousal support. What do I do? I've been to, been to family maintenance, and they're not having too much success collecting any suggestions. Well... The uh, Family Maintenance Enforcement Program, as you've experienced, is a free program, and they're generally quite good. Uh, In addition, they have some powers that a person who's trying themselves to enforce uh, wouldn't have. So, for example, an ongoing garnishment. If you were doing this yourself, you'd be using the same legislation that they use, except under that legislation, they have additional powers. It's a Family Maintenance Enforcement Act. So then you'd be doing all the filing, you'd be doing all the chasing, and you wouldn't have some of the information that they have. So I suggest you be patient, give it a little more time, but be in touch with your uh, case officer. And then if you can't, 
if you can't get any satisfaction that way, uh, you can take the bull by uh, the horns and act for yourself. But there's a very important matter that a lot of people don't know. Once you get out of the FME, uh, FMEP program, sometimes they won't let you back in. So that's an extra reason to be patient. But nothing stops you from helping them. If you have hints, if you have some knowledge, if you can, for example, get a skip tracer to uh, to go after uh, information about your wife's uh, uh, work, employment, uh, assets available to her, that can be of tremendous benefit. Does that help at all, Barry? Well, a little little bit, but, uh, you know, I'm finding it tough to make ends meet because I was relying on that to pay my rent and stuff, and it hasn't happened, so it's a little tough out there. I'm sure it is. You have my deepest sympathy. Good luck with it. All right, Barry, thanks for the call. There's a couple of guys here, our last two callers. uh, It's the area of gray divorce, Stuart, that uh, we're talking about here. People, these fellows both sound like they were married for quite some time. Uh, They're in their uh, post-50 years. I think that's reasonable to assume. Uh, How much more complicated do things get when you're talking now about uh, breaking up a relationship that is decades old? It can both be more complicated, and and in some respects it can be more simple. uh, firstly, I would say that the the statistics are showing that gray divorce is more and more frequent. The Globe and Mail pre- recently did a story on it that it's happening more and more frequently in Canada. People mm-hmm. over, people over fifty getting divorced. The, the The way that it's more simple is that the longer a person is in a relationship, for example, on spousal support, once you're at twenty five years of a relationship or more, uh, generally you're entitled to an equalization of incomes because it's spousal support is two percent of the difference in the party's annual incomes times the number of years they're together. So two percent times twenty. 25 years uh, at the high end of spousal support, you're at 50% of the income. So incomes can be equalized uh, when when parties are uh, over 25 years married. Um, But then there are the complications come up in terms of pensions, uh, share share programs where the person has has been holding on to shares in a company. There's going to be tax, capital gains tax when those shares are uh, cashed. Um, Those are all things that you would want a senior lawyer to look at to make sure that um, each of the senior spouses is getting their fair share of all of the assets on the marriage breakdown and dealing with the, any debts that are left over evenly as well. Well, you know, Ron, that's that's another, the, the debts, that was the, that, that just tweaked something in my mind because you've just come from a, a very a difficult court case that you managed to settle before the judge had to do it for you. Uh, but when we talk about court cases, a lot of it, we, we imagine it to be about the division of assets uh, beyond, of course, the concerns regarding children and, and uh, their well-being. But then we get into the other matters and we we tend to think of division of assets. But in a lot of cases in today's society, in the most expensive city in Canada, uh, there's also a matter of division of debts in some cases, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. The way the Family Law Act works now is that unless there's a good reason to depart from the rule, each of the spouses is going to be liable for one half of all family debt. And the assumption at the outset is that all debt is family debt, and the job of the lawyer where... Uh, some of the debt was incurred for, well, nefarious purposes or things that didn't advance the parties, is to prove that those uh, those debts were incurred that way. And every once in a while, you get a case where you, where uh, one of the persons is a terrible, uh, has a terrible gambling addiction. Right, sometimes, yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes these gamblers uh, have managed to make a lot of money uh, in Vegas or Reno or wherever they spend their money. And in some cases, they've incurred tremendous debt. And in some cases, they're just so embarrassed about everything they do that they bury all the evidence. And that's where uh, experienced counsel comes in, in tracing it, tracking it down, and finding it. 
on another matter, Stuart, uh, it's back to school season, and we're all everybody's out shopping this weekend. Lots of people listening to us in their cars right now with the kids in the back seat. Yes. So, what is it about back to school season that affects family law so uh, tenaciously year after year in about mid August? Yes. Well, the biggest thing I'm get, that I get phone calls on in the in the summer months. Uh, has to do with adult children, children over 19 uh, going to school and what happens to their child support. The, in British Columbia, child support is payable. A lot of people mistakenly think it's till age 18. It's actually till age 19 because that's the age of majority, the voting right. age. Okay. Yeah. So child support's ba- basically payable under a, a fixed table based on the payor's income up until age 19. And then once the child turns 19, the court has a discretion. It can either use the table amount or it can come up with some other amount. And in, and in considering whether to use the table amount or another amount, the court looks at a number of factors for children over 19. So the, the factors uh, are generally um, uh, to what extent the child, uh, how many hours is the child in school, uh, is the child in a program intended to make the child self-sufficient or in a basket weaving course that's going to accomplish nothing, uh, is the child, has the child applied for loans or bursaries and if so, how much have they got, do they work part-time or what are their part-time incomes, do they have, do the, does the child have money in savings, and um uh, what is the tuition? What are the book costs? So the court looks at a wide variety of factors and says that, th- that the child support obligation is now spread amongst all three adults, the mother, the father, and the child himself, um, and, and looking at the responsibility of each of the three of them, uh, that will then determine the payors, uh, whether he pays just the table amount or a higher amount or a lesser amount. Um, the, the, a key case uh, that's been cited over a thousand times in cases across Canada on the topic of adult child support is Farden versus Farden, F-A-R-D-E-N versus F-I-R-D-E-N. It's a British Columbia Supreme Court decision, uh, and it's also been cited by our Court of Appeal with approval in a case called Darlington and Darlington. Um, and in that case, I acted for Mr. Farden. Uh, his son, uh, who was over 19, uh, was refusing to communicate with him and had refused to communicate with him for some years, not by any fault of the father's, just in terms of, we believe, alienation uh, by the mother. But right, in any, right. any event, the, the son had not communicated with the father for a long time. And at, at age 19, the, the child... Uh, you know, told the father, he's sent the father a letter saying he's changing his name and doesn't want to have hear from his father anymore. And the father was concerned about whether he had to still pay child support in those circumstances. And, and, and that was one of the factors. And they're now often referred to as the Farden factors. Uh, the court ordered that Mr. Farden did not have to pay child support for his 19 year old son. The kid cut him loose and be- that was be- that. Because, in part because the kid had become an independent adult and cut the father away from his, yeah. his life. And also because the child had not made proper disclosure of, of the amount of courses he was taking and what the purpose of the courses were, even though we had asked for that. Um, so the court felt in those circumstances that the father should not have an obligation to pay support for his 19-year-old son. On the other end of the scale, there's a case in Ontario where a child at the age of 30 is uh, applying uh, after getting his undergraduate degree, his bachelor's degree, then he got his master's Master. degree, and now he's applying into University of Toronto Law School for his uh, doctorate degree, PhD, and wanted the mother wanted child support for him at 30 years old. The father fought it. Uh, and the court ordered the father to pay child support while the child was going to his Ph.D. program. So it really is a case-by-case it basis, is. isn't it? Yes. Huh? Stuart Zuckerman and uh, Ron Hunink, uh, thank you both very much. A very, very fast visit again. And I know you're coming back in November. I can hardly wait. And as many of our listeners and callers will also be uh, glad to have you back at that point. Thank you both very much. The new website is terrific. The address is ZuckermanLaw.ca. Right. And all of the contact information for both of our guests, Ron Hunick and uh, Stuart Zuckerman, the managing partner of the Zuckerman Law Group, are all on the website and lots of terrific resource information available 
to you as well. And the main office is in Surrey, and uh, they can accommodate uh, downtowners as well at, at their Yaletown uh, satellite office and, too. And we accommodate after-hours appointments at our Surrey office if people need to see people, a lawyer after 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. We can make that happen on a weeknight as well. Interesting stuff, Stuart and Ron. Thanks, both of you. Uh, again, good to see you both, and we'll look forward to your next visit already. Thanks, Sterling. Thank, and thanks, we're, we're back after this. Welcome back, and once again, our thanks to Stuart Zuckerman and Ron Hunick for a very informative visit today, and thanks for your calls, too. You'll be pleased to know we're already working on that November return date for another appearance, and it's looking pretty good. We'll let you know a week or so in advance of their next appearance. Time now for the Steel Report, and today, Linda tells us why smartphone shopping may not be so smart. Hey, I'm Linda Steele, and this is your Steele Report. A new study out of UBC suggests shopping on devices equipped with a touchscreen could lead you to buy things you don't really need. Professor Ying Zhu says we're more likely to be in a playful mood when using those devices. What we find is very interesting is if consumers use touchscreen for shopping, they are more likely to purchase hedonic products. So in marketing, we define hedonic products as products uh, bring people fun, pleasure, enjoyment, such as candies and chocolates. We also found if consumers use desktop computers, they are more likely to purchase utilitarian products. Uh, marketers define utilitarian products as a product have specific function or usage, such as desktop, uh, such as uh, tables and chairs and uh, printers. Zoo says the best way to stick to your budget is to keep your online shopping to your desktop. Um, the suggestion I have for consumers who want to save some money or stick to their budget is try not to explore those hedonic products on the touchscreen devices such as your smartphone or tablet because you're going to have a very difficult time to stop yourself not purchasing it. I'm Linda Steele, and that's your Steele Report. Uh, those impulse buys. Thank you, Linda. It's uh, Steel and Drex, weekday afternoons 2 to 6, right here on News Talk 980 CKNW. A couple more consumer quickies before we have to go. There's a new superfood in town. Swiss cheese is now on the growing list of confections considered to be labeled super in the health food world. Kale, avocados, olive oil, and goji berries are just a few of the more well-known superfoods, but always aren't the most appetizing. Research Researchers at Korea University have discovered that Swiss cheese has unique properties that might give you an excuse to take an extra bite. According to their paper at Nature.com, Swiss cheese contains a probiotic which has the ability to increase your lifespan, and it's only found in Swiss. After testing out this probiotic on worms, researchers were also able to find out that same probiotic is also great for building up your immune system and decreasing inflammation. It seems rather an enormous leap from worms to us, but researchers are confident in their findings as they might help humans. Just don't go overboard, they remind us. Cheese still contains saturated fats that can have a not-so-super effect on your health if you overdo it. Remember, too much of even a really good thing is still 
too much. This summer, we've had the opportunity to see some of the best local talent at the Vines Art Festival. The Park Board community-driven event kicked off on August 9th and runs right through till tonight. And it's featured Earth-inspired visual and performing artists, eco-conscious community leaders, herbalists, urban farmers, and woodcarvers. It's a massive celebration taking place at a number of East Vancouver parks. And tonight is the finale at Trout Lake. You get to see artists enliven the park with performances and workshops on Earth stages. It's on right now at Trout Lake and runs at least until 7.30 tonight. I say at least because, well, sometimes it's just too much fun to stop when you're supposed to. And that is our program for today, produced by Ben Dooley with Matt Hyland at the controls. I'm Sterling Fox. See you again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer right here on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.